This is the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast. I'm Susie Collick, the founder of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense. And I'm Kate Lismer, a writer, traveler, mother, and expat. As a woman who lives in a big city and likes to travel, I'm very curious about self-defense. I've never had any training, so I have a lot of questions. And I have a lot of answers. We figured you probably have similar questions too. And so we thought it'd be a great idea to share this conversation and put it in a podcast. So welcome to the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast. Okay, so for the second episode, we're going to talk about your life experience and what brought you into learning self-defense and Mm -hmm. why you teach self-defense to women and others. So why don't you start with your story? Sure. I was living in Los Angeles. I had come home from work. We were having a heat wave in LA, which is maybe not important to the story. I don't know. But anyway, I'd come home from work and my back door was wide open. I lived on a ground floor corner apartment and I had two doors, a front door that led to the main street that we lived on and a back door that um, entered directly into the kitchen and exited directly onto our parking area in the back. And I only used the back door because, you know, I went straight from my car to the kitchen. When I got home that day, my back door was wide open and I thought at first that I had left it open because I was late for work that morning and, you know, like things happen like that. Um, and then when I walked into my apartment, I realized someone had been there and that was creepy. Um, A friend that I called said, you know, you should really call the police and just tell them that someone broke in. And so I did, and they showed up like an hour or two later because it wasn't an emergency um, and took a report, and that was it. We just figured it was probably kids out of school on summer holiday. It was really hot. They were bored. Nothing was stolen. You know, things just moved around, and that seemed like a pretty reasonable explanation. So I put the police report on the kitchen table and I was going out to meet a friend for a drink, which I did. And on my way to meet her, I was thinking, well, you know, at least (laughs) I wasn't, at least I wasn't murdered because what are the chances of that happening? I met my friend for one drink because I just wasn't in the, I was a little unsettled from being broken into and I got home again um, and went to sleep uh, I did leave the living room window open because, but I had a screen that you could only remove from the inside, um, or I thought I had. Um, it was a heat wave, so it was important. You know, I had no air conditioning, so I had to leave the windows open. I fell asleep with the light on because I felt nervous, and I woke up at four seventeen and looked at the clock and thought, well, if nobody's broken in to kill me by now, I guess I'm okay click and turned off the light and then I rolled over to go back to sleep but another part of my brain was you know like what happens in the, in the middle of the night you know like but I, you have to go to the bathroom and then there's the other part of your brain being like I'll do it in the morning so this went back and forth you know part of my brain was like yeah but you really have to go to the bathroom and the other part was like I'll do it in the morning it's fine I'm tired you know it's like you're in REM sleep you know and this kind of fight went on in my head for a bit until finally this part of my brain was going, get up, go to the bathroom. I mean, I was compelled. I I couldn't deny it anymore. And so I finally did get up, um, kind of stumbled around because I was still in a deep sleep. And when I got to the bathroom, there was a man standing in the doorway who immediately attacked me. So there was a 
I can't say that there was a fight because I didn't fight. I don't know how, I didn't know how to fight. Um, I didn't know how to defend myself. My body took over um, in its responses, but part of my brain stayed very much in the moment and I was looking for a weapon. I was trying to see his face. Um, I did understand another voice in my head, like the bathroom voice, um, said very clearly, this is for your life. So that, you know, that of course affected my behavior, I guess, as much as it possibly could. But to be honest, I couldn't make decisions. I couldn't say like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I wanted, I just, my body was just moving. I had no control over it. He, he did whatever he did without going into details, but why don't you go into some details just to get okay. a picture of what... Okay. He um, he pushed me up against the wall. There's a few moments that I don't remember, so I'm, I'm not really sure what happened there. I remember violently hitting the wall behind me, and then I don't... It's still very fuzzy to me about what happened in between. I remember thinking, don't go to the ground, because you'll, you're too vulnerable on the ground, as we all believe. You know, Don't go to the ground. Don't let him get you to the ground. But he did finally throw me to the ground, and I hit the door jam and he grabbed my hair and started punching my face um around the temple really hard um hard enough to whip my head around and for some reason I kind of just went with the punch every time and he punched me hard enough that my head whipped around so fast that it pulled my hair out the hair he had had in his fist which then allowed me to start crawling away to start trying to crawl to the kitchen because I thought, oh, I'll, if I can just get to the knives because um, it was the only weapon I could think of. And he stopped me and turned me over and stood over me. And I remember at that time looking up and thinking, and I may have even said it, I don't know, and thinking, why are you doing this? You know, like, why are you doing this to me? It was a complete stranger. Um, and then he suddenly just stopped and stood up straight. Like he was bent over me like he was going to hit me again or something. I don't I don't really know. But he suddenly stopped and stood up straight and then ran off and ran out my front door, which was always locked and chained. And I thought, oh, my God, don't run out that door. It's locked. Like, go out the back door. That one's always open. But he pulled it open like he had prepared it before. So it was there was no delay in him getting out. He pulled it up and he ran out. And that was that. Um, and then I called the I called the police and like screamed into the phone and and then there was some pounding on my door and of course I thought it was the guy again but it wasn't it was my neighbors so I learned later that I was screaming loud enough to wake up three apartment buildings. I also learned later that he was hitting me hard enough that um, the girls two apartment doors down heard it heard his fists on my face. So, yeah, that's what happened. It was horrible. I know and, there's a lot to this story, too, about your the trauma and recovery. I left that apartment as soon as I could, and I couldn't ever go back. Um, and I went to go stay with some friends. And that first week one was very hard to get through. One, I couldn't find support. I wasn't, I wasn't raped. And so if I called any hotline for help with that, they said, well, it wasn't rape, so you should call the domestic abuse hotline. And when I called the domestic abuse hotline and told them what happened but said it was a stranger, they said, well, you should call the rape hotline because it's, if it's a stranger, it's not domestic abuse. So I had nobody to talk to. I didn't know how to get through that first night. Finally, somebody at the Santa Monica um, 
college hospital talked to me and, and was wonderful. They really saved me that first night and said things like, don't drink, don't take drugs because it'll just like, you know, Valium or whatever to calm you down. Try and take a warm bath if you're, you know, they knew I was with friends and they said, just, just surround yourself with the dogs that were there and the people, if you can sleep in the same room with them, if that makes you feel safer, that's okay. And, you know, but don't, don't try, don't self-medicate whatever you do. So that was good. But what happened over the course of that weekend is the incident kept replaying through my mind over and over and over again. Because it had happened late in a week, I was trying to call therapists and get a therapy. I mean, that was obvious. Like, I need to talk to somebody. But, you know, it was right before the weekend, so nobody could see me until the following week. That was okay because I knew it was, you know, I knew that that was going to happen, and that made me feel a little bit better. But over the course of the weekend, that incident just kept replaying over and over and over in my head because that's how trauma works in our brains, I know now. Um, But it just wouldn't stop. And I had just lived through it. And I didn't want to keep living through it over and over again. And it was so torturous that there were a few moments when I thought, "I, I want to kill myself. I just want to cut off my own head. I hang myself, shoot myself. I just, I want this to stop. Um, but I knew of course that I did have help coming. And then I thought about it and I thought, if this is how I feel and, and I have a support system, I have a family who's on the phone with me. I'm staying with friends who are keeping me safe. I know that I've got therapy coming. Um, what about all these women that I'm looking at over the San Fernando Valley, the women in Burbank, the women beyond where I can see in, in Watts and central LA and in, in downtown and East LA, all the women who don't have this middle-class liberal background that I have, who don't have the support system, who don't have the language, who maybe don't know how to read the signs that say this is domestic abuse hotline in English you know, who don't, who, who maybe live in communities where they can't talk about that kind of stuff. What about all those women? What do they do? Do they kill themselves? Is that so many lives lost because of, because of one person who has walked away and as far as I know, you know, went and ate a cheeseburger and watched a movie and that was all totally fine. Couldn't care less that my life has been changed forever. Couldn't care less that some people's lives have just been ended. So as I thought about that, I thought I, 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 I need to heal myself somehow. But as soon as I figure out what to do next and how to do this, those people need support too. Those people need help because it's not okay that people like the person, the man that attacked me is running around living a life and the rest of us have our lives cut short. In, in any way, even emotionally, that's not okay. And so I kind of made my made a promise to myself then that however this is all going to play out, because I didn't know in those first few days, um, this is my long-term goal, is to come back and help the people who don't have the help that I had. Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program created by a 20-year martial arts veteran and violent crime survivor, Susie Collin, based in Berlin, Germany. You can learn more about Susie and the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense program at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com.